Welcome back, NodPod. Thank you guys so much for joining me for another episode of Chasing Heroin. I am super excited for you guys to listen to today's guest. I've wanted to interview this guest for a long time. She's definitely been requested by many of you guys. Today, I'm interviewing Brittany Jade. She is a TikTok influencer, and I watched her like meteoric rise to TikTok stardom and fame. Like right during like the COVID era, she shot to a million followers in like six months. And it started chronicling her journey. She had lost her kids. She actually waited a little while before she talked about being sober. She was just doing like backflips off the pier in Oceanside and gymnastics and dances because she was a gymnast. And then she slowly started opening up about her sobriety journey, her marriage. She burned her wedding dress on a TikTok. And then she got back together with the guy. And so this whole journey has unfolded on social media in front of a large audience And in the beginning, it was like this amazing, cool thing. She started making all this money and had this giant platform and was like famous, like being recognized in places and like hanging out with the fun, famous people. And the thing that had given her so much, and I say this in the interview, started to really take away a lot from her. That is part two. Today's episode, part one, is the story of Brittany Jade up until she downloads TikTok. So it takes us right up until her last use, which is dark. Her last time of using is two weeks homeless. She ends up overdosing on heroin and flies back to Wisconsin where she's from to detox. And she ends this episode by saying like, there I was one more time going back to Wisconsin as an adult, leaving my family again to start over. What she didn't know, what we all know now, is that that was the last time. And so I thought it was a great place to end. So we talk about the journey and all of the trials and everything that happens, meeting her husband, that whole thing. Uh, this is when the split starts to happen. And so I think it ends at a really perfect point. This is going to set you up for next week. And next week's episode is more about the mental health side of her journey. And she learned recently in sobriety that her issue and many addicts and alcoholics, I think, learn this after they get stabilized with drugs and alcohol. Once they're physically stabilized, they can start to explore the other areas of their life where the drugs were just a symptom of a problem somewhere else. And she came to believe that she actually was struggling more with her mental health and that the drugs and the alcohol were a symptom, which they often are. And so we talk in the second half about her journey, her mental health journey, what she did to come back and the incredible backlash and drama she faced as a social media influencer. There was a a Reddit page. There were several Reddit pages actually dedicated to just like tearing her down and saying that she looked like a man. I wouldn't look because she saw, I saw her talking about them once. And I was like, what is this? And I didn't know that there was like a whole Reddit community of people. They have pages dedicated to, it's called snark, snarking on mainly women that are public figures and have a platform of some sort. And I went and looked at her, her Reddit page at the time. And that was dark. It's difficult to read. I'm not even her. And everything kind of like crashing down around her. She made a video that got her quote canceled or attempted canceled and just a lot of stuff. We talk about all that in part two. And I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I got the tea just because I also don't like that phrase. It's so annoying. And I wanted to give her a safe space where she could talk about what she wanted to and only what she wanted to. But I will say this, she spoke about a lot more than I thought she would. So in next week's episode, she talks about all the things. And if you are a TikToker person, you know this, you're going to know what I'm talking about. She talks about the video that she made that everybody got super upset about, the yacht incident, the thing on the boat, the trip to Costa Rica, the demise of some very public friendships. She talks about all the things. So that's all coming up next week. Today, we get the intro to Brittany Jade and beginning part of her story, how we get to who she is now. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. I have an amazing Nod Pod shout out of the week this week. So this is from Leah on Facebook. Thank you so much for doing the Jesse episode. 
I would 100% not have stayed alive long enough to get sober without access to harm reduction and endless Narcan. I was the asshole who OD'd constantly to the point my little group of friends would get Narcan by the case, 12 boxes of two, and my friend Adam would have had another chance to live if we would have known about the never use alone number. The one night I decided to go to a meeting was the night he died alone. So thank you for helping spread the word. If you guys haven't listened to that episode yet, I got some amazing feedback, not just on the episode, but about Jessie Blanchard herself. Somebody was like, I love her. Her basic philosophy is just go out there and love on people. And she was saying that while she was drinking Chick-fil-A. I was like, this is my girl. Anyways, that was, I think now, by the time you guys are hearing this, like two weeks ago, it says never use alone with Jessie. And it talks about the number that an addict can call what they're actively using to make sure that they survive the process and paramedics can be called if they become unresponsive. So it's a super cool episode. As always, NodPod, please let me know what you think. I love being able to post your comments and story on Instagram. It's super helpful to help promote the show. And if you guys have any milestone, recovery milestones that you would like for me to shout out on the show, I would love to do that. 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, one year, two years, 10 years. I would love to recognize you guys as part of our, you know, NodPod community. So, okay. I will see you guys next week for Brittany Jade part two, and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Chasing Heroin. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Janine, and I just like fangirled for a second with her off air, which is kind of embarrassing, but <laughs> I am I am so excited to have TikToker Brittany Jade with us today. Hi, Brittany. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I love you so much. And I just cannot wait. To Dude, I know you. me too. And when you said so when I asked her, she wrote me back and was like, I was hoping you would ask me to be on the show. I felt like famous. Yeah. I was like, yes. Oh my God, that's so cool. And I was telling her like, I remember because people were telling me like, can you interview Brittany? Can you interview Brittany? And I was like, yeah. And then I remember when you followed me back a while ago and I was like, yes, mm-hmm. now I've got an in. Now I can talk to her. And we like finally made it happen. So I'm so, yeah. and also to you, I just want to say that like, because I've followed you for so long and I know your story, like I'm really honored that you are choosing this platform to talk on because I know that you just went through so much bullshit very publicly. I'm getting chills as I say this mm-hmm. very publicly And you're just now starting to kind of come back around on social media and be public. And I just, I'm really Mm -hmm. honored that like, this is a platform that you feel safe enough and comfortable enough with to come on and talk about it and share Mm -hmm. your, your side, you know? Yeah. It feels good to get to a place where I finally feel ready again. You know, a couple of years ago I did a few podcasts. I haven't in a while. So and I am being picky about where I choose to speak on, but I love you and I love what you're doing. So, well, I love you. So, I'm, I'm so happy to have you here. <laughs> um, okay. So, let's start kind of from the beginning. Um, how did you start? I know you're from the Midwest. How did you start drinking and when? And how did that start to escalate? So, I started drinking when I was 13. Like it was just what we did in Wisconsin. Like we snuck out of our parents' house. We stole their booze. Like most of our parents were alcoholics in Wisconsin. My dad was an alcoholic. And I don't even remember like why. I don't remember exactly the first drink I took, but I would just, I like had this stash and I would take a couple and then we would sneak out and I would 
drink with friends and it was it was a disaster from really? the beginning like my mom said okay. yes my mom said the first time she saw me drunk she like knew it she explains it like this she's like Brittany I saw it in your eyes you look just like your dad did and she was like I knew that you had the disease oh, of addiction wow. and it's crazy that my mom could see that at such a young age and yeah I don't know I was just like I was very stubborn I was like I'm gonna do whatever I'm gonna do and so my mom kind of felt like she had to be the safe person and like drive me places and like, cause either way I was going to do it. So she wanted drink and, you know, she wanted to make sure that at least I was being kind of watched, but she was aware of everything. And so it started at a really young age. And then, I mean, it only like escalated. I was just the party girl all through middle school, all through high school. My parents let me move out when I was 17 I got in so many, so much trouble. I was a gymnast and I got in so much trouble for partying. Oh, that's why you can do all your flips and stuff. Yeah. Yes. I was a gymnast. Well, that served you well later. That's like that really came back around for you in the end. Because wasn't your first video a backflip on TikTok? Yes. Dude, that's amazing. Look at what that, that like sprung for you, you know? I know. It's crazy. It's been like a year since I've done one. So I need to, I'm working my way up to see if I can still do it. But I basically like gave up my dream of being an Olympic gymnast because gymnastics was my whole life to party. And I knew what I was doing. Like I could have switched it and snapped out of it, but I had already fallen in love with it so much. And so that's what I wanted to do. And I got in, because I got in trouble at school. Everyone knew I was, all the teachers knew, the principal knew that I was the big partier. And so I wasn't allowed to do sports any, oh. anymore, even if I wanted okay. to. Yeah, I think my parents moving out when I was, let me moving out when I was 17. Like I was the only senior in high school that had their own house and it was definitely the party house. So, and, well, I have a few questions. So you started drinking at 13. What about alcohol enticed you so much? Was it like, was it the feeling? Was it the fun? Like if you can remember like emotionally, what kept bringing you back despite losing your dream? I think it was the same thing as it was when I first started back when I was a teenager to when it was when I was a 30 year old adult still drinking is just the feeling you get the warm feeling that alcohol gives you and the feeling that you can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. You have confidence. Like I felt me only with alcohol. Like that's how I felt like I could be fun. That's how I thought it could be friendly. And, you know, it did work to a degree, but once you get past that fun stage, it's, it's right. not fun. And it's mainly not fun for anyone else because you're, bla- <laughs> you're blacked yeah. out and don't know or remember. Yeah. And now everyone else just has to right. deal with you. My sponsor says that it's fun and then it's fun with problems and then it's only problems. And I'm like, that's a yes. pretty good progression. Yeah. You know, that like totally that sums sense. it all up. How did you pay for the house that you lived in? Did your parents help you move out? I always had a job. Like I worked at a couple stores in the mall. I was a lifeguard. That was my main thing was I was a lifeguard. I made pretty good money full time. Like even in the winter, I lifeguarded at schools inside and I taught swimming lessons. And and then I actually moved out with a boyfriend at the time. He was older than me. So that was another reason that I thought I was going to marry this man. (laughs) Oh my goodness sakes. I have like multiple matching tattoos with him. and (laughs) I know. Oh, I think you should be, I think you should have to be 21 to get right. tattoos. Right. I really do. Cause all my tattoos I got when I was really? like 19 and when did you mm-hmm. get the, when yeah. did you get the roses? When okay. I was 19. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Her I, chest uh, piece. Huge yeah. chest piece. 
I walked into, this is a day my boyfriend broke up with me. We lived together for four years and I walked into a tattoo shop impulsively and got three roses tattooed across my chest. She has three. <laughs> they don't mean shit. <laughs> Nothing. She has oh. three. For those of you guys just listening, she has three giant black roses like across her chest. It works for you. I mean, like, I think it looks, but I've heard you say before, like, really wish I had thought about that a little bit more, right? I have heard yeah. you say that. For sure. Like, I don't regret it because the process of laser hair or laser tattoo removal, it yeah. takes years and I don't have time for that. But so I don't regret it. But also, I would not right. get it today. That's for sure. And what's crazy is my husband just told me the other day, he thinks he wants to get a chest piece. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Can you just take mine? Can you just take mine? And I'll I'll have no that's chest so funny. piece. But so so did you graduate that. from high school? Yeah, I got voted my senior year. You know how everyone gets yeah. voted things? So I was on the runner up for most fashionable. Okay. I was like, okay, thank you. That one makes sense now today. But the other one that I won that I got was biggest slacker. <laughs> biggest slacker. <laughs> Only one out of all of my friends that has a job and that has a house. But when it came to yeah. school, like I just didn't like it, but I made sure I got good enough passing grades, right. you know, like a be average or whatever to make it through. But I don't know. I never really had big plans. Like besides being a gymnast, then I, I really like my goal as a little girl to move to the beach and live on the beach in Jamaica, in Jamaica, in, in a third world country. Like that's all. And didn't want to work, didn't want to do shit. And it's funny because that still is kind of what right. I want to do today. But now I have a whole family. Yeah. So it's not like maybe one day yeah. we'll see. Okay. So you graduate high school. <laughs> you plans to go to college. Did you go to a college afterwards or what did you do next? I went to cosmetology school in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I went to the Veda Institute. And that is where like shit just got really bad for me. I was in a whole new city. I had just gone through a breakup and... I, that's when my drinking got really out of control. I got evicted from like two different places. That's when I was introduced to cocaine, which was like even more of a love for me than alcohol was, but what a perfect mix together because you can drink as much as you want. And it was a disaster. And I did graduate from cosmetology school, but I was the last one in my class to graduate. I actually ended up living in like a drug house. And so and I started doing acid. I was doing acid before I would go to cosmetology school and I would be like foiling these people's hair, just sobbing my eyes out. Like they told me, they actually made me take a leave of absence from school because they're like, girl, you are just not well. Like you need to take a leave of absence, come back and then at least graduate. And, and I did, I was just the last one to graduate my class. So I was never, never an overachiever. (laughs) That's for sure. That's so funny. Um, Okay. So you graduate And then where do you go from there? How do we eventually get to California and meet Wiley? That's all a blur, that area of my life. I got evicted from that house in Minneapolis and I actually ended up in the drunk tank and then which led me to, I had to stay in the psych ward for a few days. There's many treatment centers and psych ward visitations in my life and drunk tank experiences. Never actually been arrested and charged with anything, but I've been to the drunk tank more times than I can count on two Okay, so like, for example, one of those, because I've only ever gotten arrested. I've never had law enforcement interaction where they don't, I don't end up in handcuffs. So what happened that time, or if that was your first time, what happened to get you and drunk tank for you guys listening means like you sleep it off and then they like you go in the morning without pressing formal charges. Yes. So like what happened? Yep. I apparently, I have no memory <laughs> of this, but I apparently just got upset. I was wasted and on probably so many other things. And I guess I punched, I've never gotten to a fight ever in my life. I punched holes in the oh, walls no. 
through the walls. Yeah. And so they rest. I woke up in the drunk tank with restraints all over me and a net over my my face. And I was wearing the same outfit that I went out in last night. It was like a ballerina tutu dress, like this tiny, tiny club ballerina dress in full restraints. I had no memory of anything. And yeah, the mask, I think means they thought you were going to spit on them. I probably was spitting on them. (laughs) Dude, my yeah, people, my mom, my husband, they said I turned into like a monster, like demonic when like crazy personality switch and everything, which is it's so scary how that does that, how a legal substance does that. Right. To people, yeah. And leaves you, know? you with like no memory of it, you know? Yeah. So drunk tanks, psych wards. What would lead to the psych ward? The the incidents or what got you there? A lot of times when I would have those kind of incidents where if something big would happen, I punched toes in the walls. A lot of them would be also like suicide okay, attempts. Okay. So I'd take a bunch of pills. I'd cut myself. I'd do something crazy along those lines. And that's where I did have a pretty bad suicide attempt in that time. And that is what led me. I actually talked about it on a other podcast I just did for the first time ever, but I stabbed myself in my no stomach way. really bad, like all Yes. I never talked about it before because it just is like, wow. And this was a long time ago, mind you. I was 19 years old. I'm 34 now. And that's kind of why I've never talked about it because it, it's very, I don't know. But that's what led me to that psych ward stay. And honestly, it just drove me crazy because you couldn't, there's no nicotine allowed in there. And like, if I'm an avid nicotine addict and that drives you that drove me more insane being in able to have anything. So So where were you when you did that and who found you? I was in uh, Minneapolis. That was like right before I left. And it was my, I was with my ex-boyfriend and my ex-boyfriend's friends and they they called 911 on me, but it was very crazy. I don't remember feeling any sort of pain, but I remember like losing consciousness and I remember being put in the ambulance and hearing like I can't I can't hear a pulse I can't get a pulse and then the next day I woke up and the doctor told me he's like you got so lucky he said I was like a a millimeter away from if I would have gone a millimeter deeper I would have hit something and bled out and and I had like a letter with me and everything which is crazy because I don't remember writing a letter. You know what's so funny is Bunny asked me on her podcast and I I just about died. She asked me if because my memory is bad and a lot of it is just because I was using and drunk and it's a lot mm-hmm. of trauma that my brain has like just made me kind of forget and so I don't remember things clearly. Bunny asked me if I I've ever been checked for schizophrenia. Oh, sh- <laughs> And I'm like, no, that's, I've been checked for many things, but that is one I've never been told. But now I'm like constantly like, oh my God, am I schizophrenic? (laughs) But no, I've asked my doctor and therapist and they're like, Brittany, chill out. No, you just have gone through a lot and you don't remember a lot because of it. Many of my guests don't remember a lot of things, right? Like, especially the more alcoholic benzo people, there's a lot of stuff they don't remember. Mm -hmm. Or even like Nate, Narcan Nate, like, I'll be like, hey, let's tell a story Mm -hmm. about, because I have this, I have this like bizarre memory, right? Like, and I also have a diet. Yeah. and photographic memory from childhood. So I remember words, conversations, and pictures. So I remember stuff, but that's super unusual, wow. right? Like I'll ask Nate, I'll yeah, be like, hey, dude, did you ever have a story where you like found some dope and you thought you didn't have any? Because I got a great story. 
And he's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> he's like, maybe. I was literally, when I, was, I heard him say that, I don't know, yeah. so many times last night in the other totally. episode I was listening to of yours. Yeah. I don't know. He'll be like, I, I don't know, <laughs> maybe. See, that's right. how yeah. I'm too. Yeah. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like that's, that's pretty common. So yeah. that happened. Did you have any like lasting damage from that or anything? Like, do you have any scars or? Okay. I didn't. I have a scar. I have a scar there. And so that's, it's weird. I was wearing, it was winter time too. And I was wearing like a thick winter oh. coat and like it went through all of it. And yeah, it was very, it was a very hard time. And I didn't go to therapy after I didn't talk about it at yeah. all. Like they advised me to, to get more care, but I was like, no, I'm going to go back to home to Wisconsin. And then I told my parents like how I wound up in California was like, you know what? I recognize now I'm 19. So I recognize that I need help. Like my drinking is out of control at that point. No, my drug use. I was not, I was fully in denial that alcohol was still a problem at that time. I thought my cocaine, cocaine use was the problem. And so I was like, let me go. I'm going to buy a one-way ticket to California. And I'm going to go get sober on my own. I'm going to go explore California and get sober on my own. And so I did. And um, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking because I had no money. So I stayed in hostels. I like in order to, and then, and I did not stay sober. I was out and just doing not good things with not good people because I just letting people take advantage of me because I needed help and I needed shelter and I needed money and it was very toxic. It was only for a few weeks that I did that. And then it was very clear that and I got drugged so many times in that time. It was really sad. And I just let it happen too. like I knew it was happening. And, and I got raped and it's but I don't talk about it because it's like I allowed it to happen. I knew it was happening. And I was okay with it. Because I was like, well, these people are letting me stay here with them. So it was like always just random groups of men and very not a good time. And so I came back to Wisconsin and cause my run out of money, I was like, yeah, I'm not sober. I can't do this shit here. I'm going to, I'm going to die for sure now out here. And actually I had overdosed on cocaine. I didn't know that that was possible, but my birthday night, one night we met these guys at the bus stop and no joke, they got us a hotel room for the night. And I say us, cause I had met up with another girl that I knew from high school there. So we were both on this hiatus together and, we were, they got us this hotel room. They came in. It was my birthday and no joke. They dump out this cocaine and it is freaking, it's like heaping on the table. And I don't know how much I did, but I, and I didn't think you could yeah. OD on cocaine, but you most definitely yeah, I learned from Nate recently. They call it overamped. They call it overamped if it's mm. a stimulant and mm. you lose control of your functions and you go numb something like that. He's kind yeah. of described it. Is that similar to what happened? And were you in San Diego or LA? I was in Santa Cruz oh, then, like okay. north, like, like Bay okay. Area. Where did you fly yeah, to, to San when you came alone? You went to San Francisco to be alone on the streets? To, Brittany. Yep. Uh-huh. I, should I can't believe that. you and lived. And then I took a bus oh to Santa Cruz. I know. And just as 19-year-old girl and but anyway, so that time ran up and I came back to Wisconsin. When I got back to Wisconsin, my mom and a few of my best friends, I didn't know they were going to do this, but they basically had an intervention for me. And they said, you know, we found this treatment center back in California because my dream as a little girl was always to live in California. And so, and, and I think they knew that, like if they found me a treatment center in California, it was actually Michael's house in Palm Springs. No, uh, no, I don't really know any oh treatment gosh. centers it in is... the desert, but I know that they've got really good recovery out there. I've heard that. Yes, it was amazing. It had a pool and everything. Actually, it's really sad. Like my best friend I made in there, she 
a month after we both got out and left treatment, she relapsed on heroin and died. And, oh, that was so hard. But yeah, so I went to treatment out there and I stayed there for two weeks and my insurance ran up. They sponsored me to stay a little bit longer because I'm like, you guys, you guys, like, are you kidding me? Because you guys know if you send me home, like where I'm going, I'm walking to the liquor store right down the street. Like I'm not ready to leave. And, you know, I was only 19 though, so I couldn't buy alcohol. Like when I flew there to go to treatment, I, no joke, I bought out the airport scopes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Bought them out and I drank on the way there. You are the second person ever. I actually had a sponsee that used to do that at her sober living. How much freaking mouthwash do you oh, have to God. drink to get buzzed? I would think you would get sick yeah, first. I, I, yeah, it wasn't. I didn't really even feel right. a buzz because they were only the only ones the airport had were the little travel right. sizes. So it wasn't okay. much. But in my head, I'm like, it's all it's I something. can get. So yeah. I definitely wouldn't recommend it because it's right. not like I, I, I don't even remember feeling right. buzzed right. on it. But that's just a level I was going to. And so I went to treatment there. And then when it was time to leave, my mom had actually found me a sober living house in Del Mar to go to a sober living. It was expensive as shit, as you guys, as you can imagine in right. Del Mar, like it's a very nice area of San Diego. And it was actually really great. Mm-hmm. It was a really good experience. It was a house right on the beach. Like it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. But that is where I met my husband (laughs) in the sober living house. So they had separate girls and guys houses, but we got together at times, a lot of times. And basically we got kicked out for, they found out we were like sneaking to see each other and they found out that we were kind of seeing each other and you can't do that. Like that's just not allowed in sober living houses. And so we got kicked out. We were destined to uh, be together, though. And what sucks is when I left treatment that time, though, like I went in there for alcohol and cocaine. And when I left, I left, I was prescribed more substances, like narcotics, than when I left than what I went in there for. Like it what was What were you bad. prescribed? Um, I'm trying to, it was a lot. It was like mainly like benzos. benzos. Yeah. Okay. Klonopin. Okay. I can't remember, but that's why we hit it off because I didn't like them. Like I literally didn't even want to take them. And that was his drug of choice. And so when I got into the sober living house, I had this like huge Ziploc baggie full. I remember. And I was like, I'm sure they monitored him a little bit, but I remember somehow being like, well, I don't want him. Do you want him? And yeah, very quickly after that, you know, we, so we were actually homeless together for a little bit in like Oceanside area. Once we got kicked out of there and um, we were just we kind of stayed in in party houses, and I relapsed very quickly yeah. on alcohol. We weren't sober for very long, and that's when he really got to see like what my al- like that's when he witnessed my alcoholism okay. and and what it did to me from a very young age. And we had only be- like that was that only went on for a month or two. Okay. And I had another crazy drunken night where I took a bunch of pills and wound up in the psych ward at Tri City. Actually. Oh my gosh. Tri-City, okay. <laughs> um, which is crazy because that that was like the same doctor that I brought my kids to when- When they were like, born? They were younger. Oh, that's- Now, they weren't born okay. there, but that was like where we went to like the ER. Ugh, I know, bless our heart, because that's not a fun ER, but yeah. And that's it's, my first experience it's there. It's definitely saying, not a fun ER. I've had to go that before, and they're not very nice to our kind. I had like sores from picking and stuff and I would end up in the Tri-City ER sometimes and they were they were just like they had no use for me you know where is Wiley from yeah 
He's originally from Oceanside, Carlsbad. Oh, he is? Okay. So he's from Oceanside, but he went to Carlsbad okay. High. Okay. Yeah. All right. So he's born and raised here. And basically after that night, like, it was like, I need to go back to Wisconsin. Okay. Once again, okay. like, I had another failed attempt at sobriety. Like, this is it's just been ridiculous how many times I would just have to keep going back to my my parents. They didn't give up on me, and they and they allowed me to still do that. Yeah. And so I went back, and we so we broke up. We're like, well, this is not going to work, you know? And then two days later, after I go back to Wisconsin, he calls me, and he was like, what would you think if I moved to Wisconsin? And I was like, well, I have to ask my parents because I'm living with them, but you should. And literally the next day he came with one duffel bag, moved from California to Wisconsin and came and lived with us. And my poor parents, like it didn't, I didn't even really ask their permission because they just knew I was going to do whatever I was going to do. And if they didn't let him live there with me, we would have been out homeless wandering, you know? And so yeah, and that's when we had a kind of some rough times. He, my husband, had a huge problem with marijuana. I don't know. A lot of people say like, I don't think marijuana is a problem for a lot of people, but it is for for some. some. Yeah. And yeah, and he really just did not have a good experience with it. Like it almost felt like he turned into a different person with marijuana. He actually had like a near death experience from it once too, which and it like wasn't laced with anything. And so he has a very, very crazy experience with that. But so he started using that more. I started drinking more and, but we were, we were young and in love and it was okay for a while. And then we got engaged and then we got married actually when we were 22. In Wisconsin? So we actually did a destination wedding. We lived in Wisconsin, but we got married in Oceanside at, it's right north of the pier, North Coast Village, it's called. It's like a condominium. I know that place. Yeah. Like condos. Yeah. Yeah, So we got married there, but we only had a sober wedding to please our families. Okay. Because we weren't actually sober. Like I remember the night, we didn't drink at all during the day, but that night, our wedding night, we did go and drink. And I remember just like feeling bad because I'm like, our families think we're sober, but yeah. And then so shortly after, sorry, let me ask you a quick question. So throughout all of this time, and it doesn't sound like you did, did you deny internally that you were an alcoholic or were you like, no, I know I'm an alcoholic. I have a real problem with this, but I can't stop. Or were you like, no, I can manage it. Yeah, no, I was very much in denial. And I mean, I even, when we were in the sober living house, like I, that's when I was introduced to AA and I loved AA, but I was still, I don't think I was fully, I never did the steps. I never got a sponsor back then. And I, I was so convinced that it was just drugs that were the problem. And I think it's just because I wanted to be able to control my drinking. I wanted it to be okay as long as I get the drugs gone. And so, yeah, no, I was not very serious about it. I mean, I think I did. I labeled, you know, I said I was an alcoholic at times, but I don't think I fully, I thought it was just a young thing, which is why my alcoholism came back, you know, in my late twenties, which we'll get to that. Yeah. I think that's a common feeling, right? Like in the back of your mind, like in quiet moments, I maybe knew I had a problem, but same thing. I was like, no, it's the Coke. I'm not going to quit drinking. Who doesn't drink? It's the Coke, right? Like I'm young. I'm in my twenties. I'm not going to quit drinking. Right. Like I was really committed to that as well. You know? Yeah. So you guys get married in Oceanside. And then then we go back to Wisconsin and actually we kind of get our shit together for a little bit. Like I start working at a salon full time. He has a full time job and we, we always got into arguments when I drink. And so we decided that we were going to stop drinking and we did. 
And like six months into that, I went off birth control because we're like, oh, we'll move. We were planning on moving back to California at some point in like a year or so. I'm like, let's go off birth control now. And then we'll move to California. And then once we get back there, we'll start a family. Well, I went off birth control and we got pregnant that month. (laughs) But so I got, I lucked out before both of my pregnancies. I was sober. I didn't drink. And so I never had to have that like struggle to get off anything when I was pregnant, thankfully, like God really worked that out wonderfully for me. But yeah, so, and we started a family and honestly, from 22 to 26, like life, life was really, really good. We were happy. There wasn't any alcohol involved. I didn't like, I wasn't in recovery. I didn't say I was sober, but we just said like, we didn't drink. And we moved back to California. His parents actually bought us a house. And that's how we were able to get like started out here. Yeah. I remember our neighbors like bringing us a bottle of wine to like for like a housewarming gift. And they're like, oh, hope you guys drink. And I'm like, no, we actually don't. But then shortly after, well, then I get pregnant with twins. And after they were born, that's when things got really, really bad. Mm -hmm. So this was they're six now. And this is when I was 27. And I don't know, it's just his mom, my husband's mom, my mother-in-law passed away from cancer when I was pregnant with the twins, like very unexpected, like very quickly. Like we found out she had stage four cancer. And within three months she had, she lost a hundred pounds, like just down to nothing. It was on hospice and died in the home that she had her whole family in. Like it was it was a very, it was a lot. And at the same time, I'm pregnant with the twins. And the, you know, once they came in, like my husband didn't get the time to like grieve that properly, grieve his mom properly. And our life just was so chaotic. And I started drinking almost instantly again after the twins were born to just like deal with the stress. And in my head, I'm like, oh, just a thing when I was younger, like I'm 27 now, like I'm a mom, like this is what moms do. We drink to deal with stressful days. And yeah, and you know, we did have to set like a two drink max for like a year. We did, like we were smart about it in the beginning. We're like, let's be smart. Let's not let this get out of control. And but didn't last for very long, you know? And then the next year after that, we drank, started drinking even more. And it was only just alcohol. And, you know, my husband, he drank every night with me, but he was a type of person where he could have one or two drinks and be yeah. done. Whereas I'd have the one or two drinks with him. He'd go to bed. And then that's when I would get my night started. Yeah. I would pop a bottle. I'd get my secret vodka stash out. I would quickly go to the store and grab another 12 pack of White Claws. And like, I remember I was almost every single night for a while, especially when I was drinking wine, I was drinking enough to puke almost every single night I was puking. And then once my stomach got used to that, obviously I wasn't, it could tolerate and I wasn't throwing up and, but our marriage, like in all of that, like there were so many arguments and he just didn't trust me when I drank. And so there was a lot of factors that I, you know, me kind of in denial of my alcoholism still saw it as controlling factors. I felt like I didn't have a life because I really didn't like outside the home. He never wanted me to go do anything because he didn't trust me when I was drinking to go do anything. And I just like, I really lost myself in motherhood. My, you know, I had, I had postpartum and I didn't, the only thing I used to cope with postpartum was fucking alcohol, which only made it worse, but I felt like it was helping me. And yeah, it just like, just life got so 
toxic between us really, really bad. And that's when, and I was still, we were both in denial of my alcoholism still when we separated. Like the reason why we separated was not because of my alcoholism. It was just for, for other factors in our, in our marriage and us not being happy. And it's crazy. Like looking back because and I think that's why he's so, we both are so like passionate and, and explaining to other people, like how to help someone, you know, yeah. how to help a loved one who is an addict, because I didn't have that. I never was like, oh, Brittany, I never was like, let's get you help. Or, you know, let's, it was always like punishing me. Like his family, his dad had a lot of money. And, and so it was very easy. I lived in his dad's house. It was very easy to just punish me and take things away, but I was never offered help. I found choices detox. Like one of my really good friends helped me find that. But other than that, it was, and I think we're in denial that it really was that. I love that you went to choices. Um, (laughs) We discovered this off air, you guys, we went to the same, we went to the same detox and like, it's so weird to like, love your detox. I loved, so was it still foundation, the house and Vista? It's still there, right? Okay. And it's like this rundown joint, but it's so comfy with the whole living room is just couches and there's the fish tank and the backyard. You can smoke the rocks. I loved the choices detox. They've got cereal. Yeah. And the staff is so nice. Yeah. It is not nice. Like, no, it's not nice at all. I'm like, this this house is is not nice. I was the only one who wasn't like everyone else there was there. I don't know. I was the only one who paid out of pocket to be there. Everyone else, it was court court ordered. So that was kind of a, that was hard. No, it's a totally different demographic. And I really learned a lot when I went to Choices. Like people paroled there from like the level four yard, like high security inmates paroled there and parole would pay for them to go. And it was a new, it was a whole new world for me. And for me, I embraced that world and dove like headfirst into like pretending I was like this like convict tough chick, which I was not. I went like all in on the choices mentality, but I love it. So now you're how old when you get to choices? Because now we're getting like so I'm to like getting yeah, closer. I'm 27. Okay, okay. I'm 27, and when I entered in there in choices, my blood alcohol was a point four five seven. Oh my gosh. And I was still, I walked in there with two white claws. Like they made me throw them in the bathroom, but I was still walking, functioning. Like it was so bad. And my husband and I had separated. I had moved out and I just couldn't get sober on my own. Like I couldn't do it. I was going to AA meetings because I had lost custody of the kids during that that's, time. Too. Yeah. That's what I want to ask you about. Cause this was your final detox, right? What we're talking about right now. It was in February yes. of 2019, yes. right? Okay. Actually, it was a few months before okay. that. It was so I lost custody November thirteenth, twenty nineteen, and then November fourteenth, I checked myself into the detox okay. for two weeks. So, what led to you losing custody? How did that happen? So, okay, let me get the yeah. the storyline straight. Okay, so you guys were living together. Is this when you guys were living together in Oceanside, and you yes. separated? And then, yeah, we separated. Okay. I moved out. Okay, and they stayed with my own him? place in Escondido. Oh, okay. No, we did 50-50. We had 50-50 custody schedule. Everything was good. And then I think, I mean, his, he had this intuition that I wasn't sober and his intuition was right. Mm -hmm. And so he filed an ex parte, got a lawyer, showed up with his whole family to court. I was 
I drank the night before court. I showed up late looking an absolute mess. Like I walked in there with a LaCroix, like frantic, no lawyer, nothing, had no idea what was going on. I literally thought when I walked out of that courtroom that everything was fine. Cause I'm like, your honor, I just want to make sure like we're going back to the same custody schedule. Like me in my head thinking the 50, 50. And she's like, um, yeah, what was ordered? And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I don't know, whatever. I don't know what that means, but when I walked out and I read the paper and I saw it said supervised and unsupervised visits, like that's just when my whole world like just came crumbling down. And that's when I realized like I had lost custody. And it's so sad because I lost custody of the kids because of my, my alcoholism and my drinking. And the first thing I did when I left that courtroom was I went to the store and I bought a bottle. And it's, it's just so sad. I'm very grateful that the next day I was able to, you know, make this decision and have a friend help me get me two choices to get in there because I tried to take me to Serenity House. But Serenity House was like, absolutely not. She is way too sick. She needs to go to the hospital. And so that's how I know what my blood alcohol was because I went to the ER and my blood alcohol was there. But that and choices had called and was like, just bring her here. Like told my friend, just bring her here. We'll take her whatever state she's in. And yeah, I'm very grateful for that time because I had tried getting off alcohol on my own like a couple months prior to that at home. And I had a seizure at home. Like it was, it was very bad. I could not get off alcohol without being you know, medically assisted. So, well, alcohol is one of those ones, alcohol and benzo, because I was always kicking heroin and kicking heroin feels like you're going to die, but you're not alcohol and benzos. You can die, right. That can actually happen. Yeah. And so it's so crazy because, and I'm so grateful that that, choices is there because I think people don't realize how hard it is to find help and choices. You can pay out of pocket and it's still really expensive. I'm glad to hear it was still 1800 when you went. When I went, it was 1900 yes. for two weeks, a Suboxone okay. medicated detox. And for a heroin addict, wow. when you hear you're going to get a Suboxone five-day taper, sign yeah. me up because the other places, yeah. there's no, you know, there's no help. But you're right. It's a, yeah. it's a rundown joint, but I loved it. And I can't believe you went there too. That's so yes. cool. <laughs> I know. We need to go I back. Know. Okay, wait, who is the owner? What was his well, name? Steve. Uh, oh, but he wasn't alive anymore when you were there. Okay. You were there in, what year were you there? I, I went multiple times. I went in 2012 and 2013. And Steve Bagard died okay. in like 2014. So the owner, it could have been okay. a guy named Kim March. It could have been Kim or I know his name. He took over after that managing it. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's okay. Kim. I know it's like on the tip of my yeah. tongue. My mom would remember, but I did. I really, I really liked yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. I know. That we both I, know. There. I love that. So you detox yeah. the choices, you get out. And I no longer, as I, I had spent all my money, I had $1,800 in my bank account. And that's how much I emptied my bank account to go into. And so when I got out, I knew I wasn't going to be able to afford my condo that I had just moved out and started all over. And I had only lived there for a month. And so I had to move back in with my husband at the time. I was like, whatever, as long as I can be with the kids, like I'm fine with that, you know, but that was the worst thing that I could have done for my sobriety because we were, I was not ready to be back in there. Like he was just, I hate to say this, but like he was a huge reason of why I was drinking just to numb from the pain in our marriage and it was just so toxic. And so it wasn't a good place for me to be. And and I didn't, I didn't stay sober. Actually, actually, that's when I started using Suboxone. I had met a guy in detox. Sure. And, at Choices? Um, sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, at Choices. <laughs> yes. I know, uh, right? Sure. Yeah. 
Oh, I know. He's actually in prison right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I dated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's the pipeline. Meet yeah. a guy at Choices, but now he's in the, jo- and you know, now he's locked up. That's fair. That's yep. the timeline. Yep. Okay. So he turns you on to Suboxone. That sounds right. That checks out. Yeah. And I, I thought it was fine because I'm like, I'm not a heroin addict. Like, oh, what's this going to do? And like, he was a heroin addict, but he's like, you don't get high from it, but you might a little bit, but it's not going to be anything. I mean, I was fully addicted yeah. to Suboxone within, like it started with the tiniest sliver. Yeah. And then at the end I could take, I was taking multiple like the strips. Oh, uh, and it was yeah. bad. No, they oh, were the pills. pills. Okay. These ones are yeah, pills. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They have both. Is that, is that? Yeah. They have both. Okay. It's pink yeah. and it tastes kind of sweet. I'm sure yeah. it was Suboxone. Yeah. It's yeah. got eight side. It's like an yes. eight octagon. No, I feel like an idiot. Octagon yes. is eight, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's got the eight yep. sides, I think. And I hadn't relapsed on alcohol okay. though. I was strictly using the Suboxone, but that's when my husband like realized like we would go pick up the kids from daycare and be nodding yeah. out in the car. Yeah. And he was like, this is not alcohol. Like she is on something right. else now. Right. And so th- that only lasted like November, December, January, February. In January, I relapsed really bad at, with on alcohol. I thought it was going to be okay. I only, I only went on like a three-day bender. But I'm like, I actually went into, when I got sober, I actually went into psychosis on day four alcohol withdrawals. And I'm trying to like just remember this week. It was so crazy. I ended up getting arrested again because I struggle with mental health as well. And I think I, because of the alcohol withdrawals, the Suboxone use, the prescriptions, I was prescribed Valium for my alcohol withdrawals. It sent me into a very crazy like manic episode and I got arrested and actually just for, because my husband and I got into a fight and they're like, we have to take one of you guys. Like, I'm sorry. So they took me to the drunk tank again. That's all they took me for completely sober. I've been to the drunk tank, you know, so many times, but never completely sober. And I'm talking sober, meaning not on alcohol, but they told my husband that they thought I was on heroin and meth both of them combined. And my husband was like, no, that is not my wife. And I was so pissed. I'm like, you draw my blood. I, you know, I'm on my prescribed Valium for my alcohol withdrawals. And, but I was in a very crazy manic episode and it seemed like I was on drugs. And anyways, they let me go. And then I, I came home to find that my husband had filed a restraining order on me as he should have. And that is what I, I couldn't be at home anymore. And so that's when I went on this like two week crazy bender. That's when I started using heroin and meth like all day, every day. I was staying in hotels. I was staying in like bus stops. I was staying in like, and I'm not talking, I'm talking $30 hotels in El Cajon, like nasty ass places. Did you have a car? Um, How were you getting around? Yeah. Oh, you had a car. Okay. I did have a car still okay. at that time. Okay. So yes, that also I would sleep in there and you know that I don't have much of a memory from and it was just it's very it was very sad but the day before so February 8th I guess was found in my car like foaming at the mouth and I had OD'd they took me to the hospital and I woke up in the hospital and they were like we just don't have enough beds here to hold you like we really need you to stay but like you can't and like, I don't know, I was so lost at that time, I couldn't see or talk to my kids. And I that's like when my my belief in, in God in the higher power, like really started happening, because like God picked me up in a way that I couldn't do for myself that day. Because once again, I found myself I'm 30 years old now. Here I am flying one more time back to oh Wisconsin, 
to my parents. And this is after I have a whole family here in California. And I find myself doing the same thing I had been doing, you know, 11 years prior, multiple times. 